can we be brief about this movie? This movie goes so well. I think the threat of this movie is that we won't be brief. <laughs> I remember liking this movie a lot more than I liked it this time. Although I know this is disappointing to Engineer Mike. Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your host, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McIntyre, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Nina? What, Doc? So, it is Movember. It still is. It's still Movember, and this time, we asked Engineer Mike to choose the film, and I thought he was going to choose something... Much more bizarre, but instead he chose a 1986? 86. 86 yeah. uh, film starring Robert De Niro. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before oh we God. talk about the film, okay. it is November. It is November. The reason we sound different is because we are actually recording in the same physical location. Yes. This is apparently <laughs> also why a slightly funny thing becomes a thing of great... <laughs> amusement i either apologize about this trade wreck to the listeners or you're welcome depending on how you feel if about we it. start giggling a lot and have to start over it's because we're in the same room and we haven't been in the same room in quite a while we're not just the same room but we're operating off the same mic and we're like yeah. facing each we, other like we're like we're singing we a kind stare. of romantic ballad to another he's the captain and i'm Tennille in this i should get a captain's hat yeah <laughs> Anyway, so so we watched a movie called Name of the Rose, based on the, a, name, of the, the name of the Rose with Sean Connery and Christian <laughs> Slater and F. Murray Abraham. Who, He's only uh, in it for like 15 minutes. Yes, but he, he gets like one of the top billing. He's one of the top three. Mm-hmm. And then, well, you tell us all about this, oh, this film geez, that I'm... does not have either Robert De Niro or Jeremy Irons in it. <laughs> We didn't sit through the credits, yes. so they made Spo- it. Spoiler, spoiler, for the, spoiler for my recommendation later. Okay. Okay. The Name of the Rose, which I mistakenly kept calling this In the Name of the Rose. <laughs> this is going to be impossible to edit. Got this. Okay. I'm hiding my face so I don't. The Name it. of the Rose is a plodding, long winded, boring, just dry movie about philosophy and medieval monks benedictine and franciscan monks debating aristotelian and platonic um stuff i you know okay so i had a very hard time following this movie i'm sorry guys do i need to summarize the movie no no okay Okay. so i can do it if you need to okay so uh, wait hang on let me try let me try Okay. okay so um sean connery is a franciscan monk and he and his novice is is Christian Slater his novice? I think so. I'm not okay. actually sure what what his official relationship is. He's his his, his boy. His, he's his mentor, I, I guess. guess. I don't know. They're called to a, a an abbey mm-hmm. in Italy to de- No, it's in England, isn't it? Isn't it Italy? They're all Italian. I guess that's I true. Mean, that's true. So yes, I'm I'm so. guessing this is Italy. Yeah. I mean they all speak with the vaguely Italian accents, except for Sean Connery, who's speaking. He's how, how did I, I wrote this down? He's the the most Scottish non-Scot in every movie he ever plays. If he's not a Scot, yes, I kept explaining Connor McLeod to wander to this film. Yeah. <laughs> so they're they're going to this abbey to debate again Aristotelian versus Platonic forms. Like I I don't it's know. A, it has to do with poverty. It has to do yeah, with the nature yeah, of po- the poverty. Yeah, the poverty of Christ. Yeah. 
And while they're there, they find out a murder has taken place, so they get sidetracked. They get a side quest to uh, solve a murder, and there's a, a book that's been killing everybody, and then there's witchcraft and... Accusations of Accusations witchcraft. of witchcraft and a fire in a library, which they solve the end. <laughs> so, okay. How did I do? Pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. All right. Uh, I, like, I, like I said, this movie is dense, but not dense as in you feel smarter at the end. I just, I felt exhausted. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. But I feel like we are bearing the lead on one thing, okay. which is not about the plot. Because the plot, as far as I can tell, the first half is... Sean Connery is showing us how brilliant he is by solving the crime. But then it turns out his solving of the crime was not accurate. Yeah. And so F. Murray Abraham comes along and figures out the other half, but he's the bad guy. And so he ends up, but it's witches. And then. Yes, exactly. Anyway, so I'm not really sure whether Sean Connery actually did solve the crime in the first half. But aside from that, the solving the crime is the lead, which was what really annoyed you about this film besides his pacing. So, as Engineer Mike pointed out, this is more like seeing the movie Tenant than watching the TV show Frasier, <laughs> which, if you're my age, when you saw Frasier and you could figure out a joke, you felt really, really smart. You felt like you were with these characters. You felt like, oh, I like this show now. When you saw the movie Tenant, you thought... No, I, I don't I don't feel like this show has done me any favors whatsoever. That's how I you feel. You are after. desperately trying not to talk about this movie right now. <laughs> I, there are so many other movies Engineer Mike could have recommended. There's so many other fun movies. I know Engineer Mike's getting thrown under the uh, cart here today. So Yes. But this is based on a better Echo book by the, yes. of the same name. Yes. Of the same name of the name of the Rose. Umberto Echo steals his character from... Sherlock Holmes. Yes, this is, character if, is painfully Sherlock if Holmes. If you don't figure this out within, I'd say, well, I mean, this movie goes on for four and a half hours. <laughs> Stop <laughs> four and a half hours. It's At me. one point, Sean Connery goes, it's elementary. Yes. And I just, I wanted to throw my yeah. iPad at your TV. And he's William of Baskervilles, yes. Oh, for so. Christ, yes. <laughs> so, so he's, yeah. it's medieval Sherlock Holmes. Yes. And then it turns into medieval Sherlock Holmes fighting the Inquisition. Yeah. It, sort of. But I mean, just like what, what pisses me off about Sherlock Holmes is what pisses me off about this movie. Or what, what pisses me off about this movie is what pisses me off about Sherlock Holmes is that he's only right because the plot dictates that he should yes, be right. You know? Yes, yes. The examples that I have are when he points out the footprints in the snow. Yeah. And he draws his conclusions from, oh, the, the footprints are in the snow very deeply. He must have been carrying a dead body. How do you know he was carrying a dead body? He could have been carrying anything. The footprints could have been deeper because he was a heavy set man. Or he could be wrong completely. <laughs> yes. It just, He's just real smart. He's very Sherlock Holmes, basically. Yes. He is what the script wants him to be at yes. any given time. I'm sorry. Yeah. We're really getting off track here. So let's, let's get into the Franciscans versus the Benedictines. Yes. And we don't have to get into this because, again, we're not religious scholars here. Let's just, let's, let's keep it like this. The Franciscans are in the white robes and they're the good guys yes. as Hence far the white as, robes. Ha, yeah, yes. as the, the script would dictate. Yes. Um, and they're more relaxed about their rules. They're, and they're more into the poverty of Christ. And then the Benedictines are the bad guys because yes. they're in the black robes. And they're very, very strict. They have a very yes. set of strict rules for their liturgy and their practice. 
And Umberto Eco really hates the Benedictines. Apparently, in, apparently in the in his book, he I, I I don't know anything about his I know about uh, his personal politics. If yeah. you're my if you're an older millennial, you know him from his essay on Ur fascism. What he feels about the Benedictines, apparently for his book and for this script, he does not find them very favorable. Yes, that would be that would be. So. And I have to confess, I I read the name of the rose, but not in this millennium. So. <laughs> So I, I went through a period where I felt like I had to read a bunch of Umberto Echo probably in the 80s or 90s, probably in the 90s. Yeah. And I read this. I have the copy uh, and uh, I didn't re- I didn't reread it for this. So uh, describe <laughs> describe your bookmark. It was four book. it was four pages in and I said, eh, I'm not reading this anymore. <laughs> I don't like I've Umberto never seen Echo. you give up on a book before like just four pages into it. Well, I've read it. I just <laughs> Okay, so part of the thing, so one of the things that Engineer Mike had talked about was just how much we have later movies like National Treasure and what's the other one? Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code, which seemed to be basically taking from this. And so when I started reading reading the name yeah. of I felt like I was opening the Da Vinci Code and I was yeah. just like, I can't, I can't read I, this. I feel like Da Vinci Code and National Treasure, they have fun with their source material like yeah. da vinci code dan brown is he's often reviled for his take on historical fiction and rewriting history and the like i feel like he's kind of doing it with a wink and a nudge though he's like yeah i know this isn't true but what are you gonna do this is fiction but see national treasure is a very serious movie with nicholas cage and... true the very serious <laughs> actor yes Nicolas Cage. Well, once again, we're trying not to talk about this movie. I know. Okay. Yeah. So we do, we're we desperately again. trying not Sorry. to talk about the movie. We... But there are there are these. I don't know if this is the first of these, but it yeah. really does feel like these other movies, if they're not directly descended from the name of the Rose, that they at least come from the same family. And maybe that maybe that's some defense of the movie that it was super influential yeah. in giving us. We would have less Nicolas Cage if it weren't for this movie. And that's very sad. I cannot picture this world without Nicolas Cage. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, so that's a point one for The Name of the Rose. Yeah. Somber moment over. The book that they're talking about in this movie is a lost book of poetics. Yes. By Aristotle. Yes. Yeah, so this is a real book. Oh, this, this is a real, is a real book. book. This yes. is not something that's made up of. No, no, okay. no. This is a real book. So Aristotle, there's actually lots of books of Aristotle that we know existed that don't exist anymore. But probably the one that is most famous of his lost books is his book on comedy. So he writes something mm-hmm. called The Poetics, where the first half is about tragedy. And he talks a mm-hmm. very, very, very little bit about comedy. But he says, I'm going to deal with that in the later book about comedy. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have it. And we know that it existed both because he references there and we have it in some other old book lists and things. Mm-hmm. So we know it existed at one time. That's not made up. And, and I'm not sure when people started realizing it was lost forever. In this one, it's clear that this is the very last copy and the Benedictines are hiding it because they hate laughter. I hate laughter. They yeah. hate laughter. Uh, they hate fun. <laughs> in their town, dancing is not allowed. <laughs> anyway, there is a book called the Tracticus Coislinianus, uh, which <laughs> yes, there is a book which is a the Benedictines tenth, are going to hate us. Yes, which is a tenth-century book, and it was first published in 1839, and it is an Aristotelian view mm-hmm. of comedy. And some people have argued. I think Northrop Fry argued 
for example, that it is the Lost Book. It is the Lost Book of Comedy. It's just not on there. Others have said, no, 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 it's someone else's take on mm-hmm. on on it. And others have said, no, it's neither. We just have a little bit of, of his ideas from his treatise on from the poetics and someone you know someone just expanded on on that and just sort of assumed what he was gonna do in fact i would argue that north of pride talking about comedy does this and the reason this one's so much more important than the other ones is that today tragedy gets just way more critical favorability than comedy so if you were to go one thing i i do whenever i teach about this uh in uh, my world literature class is I'll go through and I'll count, and I can't remember what the numbers are now, the last time I counted, but I'll count how many comedy movies have ever been nominated for an Oscar. Right. Not even of one. And it's very few. Mm -hmm. You'll go years without a single one being nominated. The ones that tend to do okay tend to be cartoon comedies that are nominated because they have done some something fabulous in terms of the technology like who framed roger rabbit for Mm -hmm. example but it just doesn't get the respect and one of the main arguments that i do subscribe to is that the reason it doesn't get as much respect is aristotle gives us a framework to think about tragedy and we have centuries of writing about tragedy thinking about tragedy with comedy we keep reinventing the wheel over and over again and so how we understand comedy is a lot less than we understand tragedy. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Comedy is also the quickest to age, too. Yes. So in this movie, there is a big library fire, and Sean Connery's character is, he practically, he, or he almost loses his life trying to save these books because he recognizes the importance of saving these books. And I remember from our class, we had a, like, we had a party on this yes. day, and it, <laughs> it kind of weirded me out that we had a party almost in celebration that's of... because i'm in favor of book burning don't you know this <laughs> I, you've always been very strange to me doc but what is the the cotton the, the cotton library cotton fire. library fire okay. yes okay so i'm not actually in favor of book burning we had this to sort of commemorate yeah. it and why not have a party so go back in time to the 18th century sorry the 17th century you've got this guy robert cotton i always want to say joseph cotton the actor uh robert cotton <laughs> who's out trying to collect every medieval English book he can. And he's trying to collect them all, and he collects them in a single library that we call the Cotton Library. Uh, He collects them all, and in a building that was ironically named the Ashburnham House. (laughs) Are you... Really? Yes, that's the name, the Ashburnham House. So in 1731, October, I think 23rd, but but I I should have efforted that before. It was always toward the... Yes. End of the semester. So the fo- the library burns to the ground. And they fu- they see the fire and they go in and they just start grabbing manuscripts. And there's one door and there's one window and they start chucking them out into the snow. Mm-hmm. In the name of the rose, uh, Sean Connery is like trying to choose which ones to save. But in fact, in the actual, in an actual fire of this kind. They were just throwing things out and whatever they could say before the fire got too hot. And so if you look up medieval English manuscripts, one thing you'll find is the name of the English manuscript, the the actual official name of it is almost always Cotton, and then the name of a a Roman Caesar. And that's because Mm -hmm. there's no Library of Congress system, there's no Dewey Decimal system. Instead, the system that they used in the Ashburnham house uh, was they put, they had these little busts of the Roman emperors up there 
And so it's cotton. It, it was in the cotton library. And then the emperor it was under. And then the number or shelf mark where it was on the shelf. So cotton Nero XYZ. One of the manuscripts I wrote my, my dissertation on was cotton Vitellius uh, A17. That's right it is. Uh, yeah. Telling what shelf it's on and what number mm-hmm. it was on there. Yeah, the cotton library fire. We would had a lot more if it weren't for the cotton library fire. Uh, today just like this now as far as i know we have no book list that claim that the Mm -hmm. lost books of aristotle were there certainly not by the time we get to the 1731 they're certainly gone by then yeah but yeah i mean this kind of fire legit destroyed massive repositories Mm -hmm. of medieval learning and in this particular one we're told that this is a legendary scriptura Mm -hmm. which again it's weird that it's a script where everyone hates learning. Uh, they want to copy them, but no one's allowed to learn from them. Anyway, Umberto Eco really hates Benedictines <laughs> a lot. And not only does he not like the Benedictines, the Benedictines are also extremely hideous looking. Yeah, this is a thing that we have. This is a thing in American literature. There's something called the Southern Grotesque. Yeah. Where Southerners are depicted as being weird and grotesque and incestuous. Mm-hmm. It's and, like a Southern Gothic trend. Too. Exactly. Yeah. There's also in the depictions of the medieval, the medieval grotesque. Mm-hmm. The idea that people were not just dirty, but deformed and, and stupid. And, and there is almost not a single character in this besides Sean Connery, Christian Slater, and F. Murray Abraham, who is not deformed in some way. Yeah. Including Ron Perlman, right? He's always had a, a very peculiar look to him. Like, he's a... <laughs> like, no disrespect to Ron Perlman. He's a fantastic character actor. He's been in some really good movies. He's been in some really bad movies, too. But he's got a very distinct look to his face that that will tell you that's Ron Perlman. Yeah, although, like, 90% of his face is covered up in prosthetics here because they have to make him super deformed, so... Yeah. But you can still tell it's Ron Perlman. It is true. Yeah. There's something strange about his face that that makes that obvious. So, yeah, I mean, this is a common trope. People in the Middle Ages were all dirty and stupid. The little bits that we get into daily life... So, literally, there's a scene where someone is like an ape peasant girl is grooming an old woman's hair and she's pulling the lice off and she eats it like she's a monkey or a gorilla or something and everyone's got some kind of deformity Mm -hmm. or something weird looking about them and i think that's a sense of a very modern thing to say the past everyone was terrible we're we're enlightened and smart and of course the avatar of the future that is to say of us Mm -hmm. is william of baskerville Mm-hmm. Or Sean Connery. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that poor peasant girl. I mean, she's not given a name. I mean, to quote Amy Poehler, your female part is a little underwritten, sir. Yes. Like, I mean, will it embarrass you if I bring up the sex scene? Uh, it will disgust me, but it won't embarrass okay, me. So go, that, ahead, go ahead. That, okay. Like, I've seen a lot of sex scenes <laughs> through a lot of movies in my many years of being alive, but that was definitely one of the grossest so, uncomfortable and just gross like they were on food yes that like they have, were on food they have to eat that and they were on the on a bag with a bloody ox heart in it uh, so that that was yes part of it so this girl who was grooming the woman and eating her yeah. lice and going around with a bloody ox heart let me paint a picture for you it's 1986. Okay. I'm 16 years old. I'm in the Melody Drive-In Theater in Bass Lake, Indiana. Uh, this is a lot of... If you travel back in time and want to murder me, you're able to find me now. <laughs> Indiana looks exactly the same today. It sure does. Yeah. Melody Drive-In Theater is still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, still owned by the faint, same family, as a matter of fact. So I'm 16. This is a sex scene with 
Christian Slater and some girl. This should be exactly what I want. This should be the the thing that has some sort of awakening in me. And she just looks so gross. The whole thing was so nasty. I kept thinking, I know they're trying to maybe turn me on, but the medieval grotesquery is just making me sick. And it made me sick. And that's that's why I never had children. <laughs> Well, it's definitely why I don't have children. <laughs> because you later heard me describe Late, yes, my experience. Yes, I did. Yeah, were you on a date? <laughs> so uh, when I was 16 years old, in 1986, uh, this is off topic, but I believe was the greatest year for popular films ever. Uh, I don't disagree. If you don't believe me, just go look at all the movies that came out in 1986. Mm-hmm. And so what my friends and I would do is we would go th- usually three nights a week. Mm-hmm. One night we'd watch the movie when I would go with her friends and screw around, and uh, then one, one night we'd usually go as a date movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea whether I was on a date, whether this was a just me and my friends screwing around, or it was the day I went to watch the movie. So yeah. most movies I ended up seeing three times if they came out that that, yeah. that summer, uh, with varying degrees of attention to the screen. <laughs> but let me tell you. Uh, I'm sure after, I, I think I only saw this one once and I'm confident that if I had gone back in time, I would cover my own eyes and prevent myself from seeing yeah, it. Yeah, talk about grotesque. I think that was the most grotesque scene in the movie. Even it's a movie if, with lots of gross stuff in it. We were talking about it during watching the movie and, and you, you said this, but there was no motivation for this sex scene to happen either. Like, no. no, they didn't know each other. She didn't give him or he didn't give her any food for sexual favors. It was just. Yes, in fact, her even revealing herself to be there endangered her yeah. from being able to do that. I, I was wondering last night whether she has no lines because they have to pay the actress less. Like if like yeah. maybe she had three lines and like, eh, she has no lines. We have to pay her or something or we have to we have to pay her as an extra or something. But it was she was very underwritten. And even in the end where they're going around and they're accusing different people of witchcraft and heresy, when they get mm-hmm. to her, F. Mary Abraham just sort of says, how about you? Nothing? And All then right, walks that's off. It. That's yeah. it, right? Doesn't so. even give her a chance to answer. No. No, she, she babbles when they... They like assault her at one point when they accuse her of witchcraft, but she ba- like she babbles, but she doesn't say anything at all. She has no lines throughout the movie. I'm not even sure whether we're to left to understand that she can talk if there's something wrong with her, if that's another grotesque thing. Maybe, maybe that's what they were going for, but <laughs> <laughs> Engineer Mike just she talks with her body. <laughs> she does, and what she says is Disgust. It's a hate crime when she says with her body and she needs to not talk anymore. Also, Christian Slater, now that I've seen his 16-year-old butt, uh, I never I never wanted to see his 16-year-old butt, but now, yeah. I, you know. It was nasty. It, you know, Christian Slater grew into his looks. He was someone who had to grow up to be attractive. He's also very pimply-faced in this, I yeah. noticed. I was trying to figure out if those pimples were real or if they were just, and they were like, let's make him gross too. Yeah. Or if they were just there and they are like, eh, what are we going to do? It was part of the grotesque. There you go. Yeah. yeah. He's always been a good actor. He just hasn't always been an appealing actor. You know? 
I mean, this is a year or so after The Legend of Billie Jean, which is a fantastic, fun movie. Yes, and he yes. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was just, I think he would, he went from age 12 to like 21 in the span of a year. Like he like just had a growth spurt. Like again, here we go, trying not to talk about yes. this movie. Now, before we get into recommendations, you I don't have, want, you, we I, don't, we're not going to talk about Heathers. No. <laughs> No, that was a couple years later. Okay. I have one very important question okay, for let's you. Hear it. That I you know, I told you I that I would have this question during this podcast last night when we watched this movie. Right, but you didn't tell me what the question no. was, so I'm I'm ready Here's for it. Here's my very I'm important steeled, question yes. for you. What the hell does this title mean? Uh there's a there's a actually I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> now that I, I think about it, there was that there's that little coda and I still I still don't know what it means. Engineer Mike's suggesting it's the name of the girl? But she's not called Rose in the... She doesn't have a name. In the, in the closing credits. Oh. I don't think it's the name of the girl. I, I don't think so. I think... No. No. Shutting Engineer Mike down. <laughs> Just because you get to be in the room with us doesn't mean you get to have a question. The name of the Rose? <laughs> <laughs> I, <it's, laughs> That's a terrible... You sound no. like Jan you. He said, the name of the Rose? <laughs> so... No. <laughs> I don't... I don't know what the title of this movie means. I mean, I know the reference. There's a kind of... I wonder if they... Okay, here's what the name of... I have figured out what the name of the rose means. Okay. The name of the rose is when they were workshopping. They were workshopping this. They're like, we'll call it the Benedictines versus Franciscans. No. (laughs) We'll call it the lost book of... uh, Aristotle's lost treatise on poetics. No, like, well, I don't know. How about just some crap like the name of the rose? Fine, the name of the rose. I bet it you is. anything that's it. I mean, they could have called it the poison book. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There's a poison book. Except the problem with calling it the poison book is then it reveals that there's a poison book. Yep. Oops, I spoiled it. Spoil, spoil this movie some. Yeah. Thirty years later. Yeah. Or however many years later. Let's get into some recommendations. Okay. Do you want me to go first? Go ahead. You go first. All right. So I told you I had one recommendation, but I said the room, but I had two. So you're getting a oh, bonus one that okay. you don't know about. So the first recommendation is another movie about, this is about Jesuit priest. And it's, it's a great movie from 1986, same year, called The Mission, starring Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons, who are definitely in that movie and not in this movie. And it's about a conflict between a slaver and a priest in South America. Yeah. And the priest is trying to convert these people and the slaver is trying to enslave the the people. And it's got a beautiful soundtrack by Ennio Morricone and all sorts of fun things. Now, the other movie I wanted to recommend to you. Okay. We know very little about, and this is going to sound like a joke, but I'm not joking. We know very little about what's in Aristotle's treatise on comedy, except essentially what he references in the poetics yeah. and what we can intuit from that. But that doesn't mean people haven't tried to make Aristotelian comedy. And the film, again, I'm not kidding, that I think is the the clearest adaptation of the Aristotelian model of comedy is Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, Jesus. I think Napoleon Dynamite is a great <sighs> representation of Aristotelian comedy. It plays out the way you would expect it to, especially versus tragedy. Without, I actually have not seen any interviews with the writers and producers of that to indicate this. I haven't looked for them either, but it seems to me almost impossible that they didn't intentionally base this on the Aristotelian model. So Napoleon Dynamite, if you feel like, I want to read this lost book, but it doesn't exist anymore, well, there you go. 
you get Napoleon Dynamite. All right. I'll give you which that. Which apparently you don't like. I am ambivalent toward Napoleon Dynamite. Mrs. Awesome yeah. will be very upset when she hears that. Oh, I'll really? It's one of her favorite movies. I, I do not fault other people for liking it. I can see the appeal of it, but like the character of Napoleon Dynamite gets on my nerves very quickly. Well, now that you've watched this, you'll yeah. be able to understand it in a... In a more deeply philosophical I see, okay. way. I, I am much more enlightened. Yes, you'll be able to understand it as a Franciscan would understand it. I can tell you I like Napoleon Dynamite much more than I like The Name of the Rose. <laughs> yes. Poor, <laughs> poor Engineer Mike. He's getting more and more downcast with this episode. So before we completely destroy his last shred of hope for us... What is your recommendation for this? My book? recommendation is a good recommendation. It, okay, so F. Murray Abraham appears in The Name of the Rose about an hour and 15 minutes in. It's really far in. Yes, even though he's like the third build in yeah. this movie. He's only in it for, well, yeah, he's in it for tops 10 minutes total. And yeah, he doesn't he, have very many lines. Yeah, and I, I looked this up. He was in it... This was his first movie after winning the Oscar for Amadeus. Oh. He's really trying to choose some scenery in this movie, and it's just not just not working. He's in a much better television show and a much better place in his career today, and that's in Mythic Quest on Apple TV, <laughs> where he plays a very pompous writer well past his prime who once won a Nebula, which is a... a Pretty prestigious uh, science fiction writing award. But he won it like in the 70s, yes. the very beginning of his career, and he just can't stop talking about it. Mythic Quest is a fantastic show about how an MMO is put together behind the scenes. And I watch the show, and it's it's really, really good, but sometimes it's painful to watch because I see the trajectory of my own career. Like, I started off as Joe. <laughs> Currently, I am Poppy. And in the future, I will be C.W., who is F. Marie Abraham. (laughs) Well, I hope someday to have the success that I can coast on. Yeah. That's that's my goal. Yeah, that's true. F. Marie Abraham, C.W. just coasts in this movie, (laughs) or in the show. It's really, really good. All right. That was another Movember movie. Yeah. I think it might be your least favorite Movember movie you've ever seen. I, again, I use the phrase, I'm not mad i'm just disappointed because we've done a worse movie before what was medieval pie i can't i keep forgetting the virgin territory virgin territory that was a worse movie i hated that movie more but for some reason i like this movie i expected better can we get a movie where f more abraham leaves this movie and tim roth leaves that movie and they have a buddy comedy set in the Middle Ages because I would watch that and they'd both be villains, but they'd be awesome villains. I I would watch that. All right. And I think that would be a much better movie than either Virgin Territory or The Name of the Rose. All right. Listeners of this podcast, get on that. Get that screenplay. Get it funded. We, we need to see that movie. And if you get that movie made the next year, we will watch it and review it next mm-hmm. year, next November. Yes, please do. So anything else for the good of the cause? Um... Don't watch this movie. <laughs> I mean, I didn't like it, but it's not virgin territory. It isn't virgin territory, yet I went on for a long time complaining about virgin territory. <laughs> I think I had more fun just ripping virgin territory and, ooh, that didn't sound good. You know what? I'm, I'm just going to back out of what I almost said there. Yeah. If you want to see Christian Slater's butt, this is a good movie for you. <laughs> sure. If you like a grotesque Ron Perlman... This is grotesquer than usual, Ron Perlman. This is a good movie for you. And if you like 
disgusting sex scenes where people are greasy and screwing on top of food, this is also the movie for you. So on that fine note, <laughs> West Through Hall, Nina. West Through Hall, Doc. Pop and Evil was recorded on our Cable Studio. Our hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash Thank you for listening. Like, <laughs> Just keep going. Keep rolling. <laughs> the name of the road. The outtake, this is going to be 45 minutes of us laughing.